0: i think that the intention of the sitter i actually believe is is a, a critical element and and that that creates the, the conditions for the um the journey to to trust and to really go deep within themselves and kind of leave their body behind in that room and um, to really go to the places within them that will will heal them ultimately it's a beautiful process and anyone who's uh, seen it or being part of a psychedelic experience and uh, has seen the kind of transformative healing that is possible it i think it's very hard not to be an evangelist i don't i don't know how everyone doesn't want to scream about it from the rooftops because it just for me it's the most important thing life it's life yeah <laughs>
1: Hi everyone! Welcome to another episode of the Psychedelic Conversations podcast. Today I have with me Tara Austin. She is the applied behavioral science, science practitioner and also a consultant partner with Ogilvy. 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 <laughs> Ogilvy. Ogilvy. <laughs> That's right. And she's also a psychedelic evangelist. She's in the UK, so I'm really excited actually to be able to speak to somebody from the UK. So welcome, Tara. Wow. excited to have you and um, can we begin with a little bit of your background this is traditionally what we do on this podcast just to give a context to our listeners to get to know you a little bit and then what are the projects that you're working on currently then we'll take it from there if that's okay.
0: Yep, absolutely sure so um, my background you said you mentioned I'm an applied behavioral science practitioner uh, and that's pretty it's a pretty new field um, the practice that I work for uh, we set up just 10 years ago um, and we are the UK's kind of private sector equivalent of what's often called in government the nudge unit, uh, the behavioral insights team that was set up uh, under David Cameron in the UK to help people uh, do things like fill in their tax return on time or insulate their loft or um, you know quit smoking. Uh, Lots of tricky behavioral briefs that the government found that the answer wasn't necessarily to uh, use financial incentives, sticks and carrots, fines weren't working or, um, you know, people just weren't doing what they were meant to do, even even giving people tax breaks, they still weren't doing what they should be doing. Um, how do you get them to uh, overcome those challenges? And the Nudge unit was established uh, in in response to that. And and really following actually from uh, the Obama administration, uh, which Cass Sunstein uh, was working into. And Sunstein and a man called Richard Thaler wrote a book called Nudge, Uh, Thaler has since won the Nobel Prize, as has a man called Daniel Kahneman. Uh, And between them all, they sort of gave birth to this field of behavioral science, uh, looking at human beings, not as just rational actors, but as individuals that are really shaped by um, our subconscious uh, motivations, many of which come from our evolved history as a species, and that we're not necessarily um, conscious of. um, And sometimes they don't seem to make sense to us, the ways that we behave. Um, but they are, yeah, highly evolved responses, and and so my job is to apply all of this thinking about how the how the brain works into um, into for, for clients, and often that's the government. Uh, so we do work with government as well. So we do a lot of work around getting people to recycle. Uh, we've recently um, just I'll give you an example of the kind of work that we do. We've created a uh, calendar. Um, for Ramadan, uh, the Ramadan Rila, which is a sort of relates to a kind of spiritual journey and it's for children and it's this little kind of sticker calendar where if you do good tasks, during uh, Ramadan, you, f- you populate the calendar and you fill it up and um, and some of those tasks relate to food waste and making sure that you're eating your leftovers or you're uh, doing the right behaviors around uh, Ramadan. And so uh, it's a kind of very oblique uh, way of getting, uh, looking to nudge people towards the behavior that we want to see without kind of forcing them to do things, um, encouraging them in the right ways. And yes, we work for for, uh, lots of stuff on recycling for the government, things like getting people to use condoms even, tricky behavioural briefs. But also we work for the private sector as well. Uh, I'm doing some work at the moment on uh, nicotine and trying to get people off those terrible cigarettes and into um, other nicotine products that are not going to kill them. Um, So nicotine pouches, things like that. Um, And that probably brings me into the world of psychoactives um because that's my that's my day job and, and ogilvy is a big advertising network and before i worked for the behavioral science practice when we set it up 10 years ago i i worked in the advertising business um on big big brands and businesses all over the world unilevers your coca colas i did all of that um but for the last 10 years i've specialized and now um most recently um alongside my work at Ogilvy, I. Um campaigns consultant for the Conservative Drug Policy Reform Group, um, which is a, a, a lobby group uh, set up to try and bring up about drug policy reform within this government, within this administration. We have a conservative administration here in the UK at the moment. Um, and I have created a campaign um, with the CDPRG, uh, as it's snappily called. Um, and that's kind of what brought me into your orbit i think so create a campaign for psilocybin access rights because uh psychedelic medicines are uh my life's work i think is probably the answer
1: wow that's wonderful thank you for sharing with us now uh, i think it's great to open a window here since you are the for me in the uk that's why i was following you on linkedin and um and uh this conversation is very important for us especially uh for the future of this podcast because um UK, I read in an article that UK is preparing to be the hub for, uh, um, you know, in the science of uh, psychedelics. So they're becoming the leaders in the field of the Renaissance. And obviously, um, you doing this and pushing the uh, rights to psilocybin therapy, I think it's a great time now. And it would be something we look back in a few years later and think, oh, my God, these are the foundations. These are the roots that was all planted or seeds that were planted. And now could you give us a little overview what you're seeing in the UK as someone qualified to to speak on this? It would be amazing to hear your uh, views. Well,
0: um, what we're seeing in the UK is in the UK, we at the moment have very uh, rigid, inappropriate uh, policies around uh, psychedelic medicines. And that is they are both in class A which means, uh, and I think it's important to make the distinction here uh, because there's a lot of discussion around things like decriminalization and the criminalization and the classification of drugs in, in the UK relates to what you what, what happens to you or I if we're found with that drug on the, on the street by the police. Um, some drugs, ibuprofen, they're not very interested in, uh, but a class A drug is one that is absolutely prohibited by law um, and uh, it carries a sort of seven year sentence here for uh, even for carrying, but certainly for even more than that for kind of dealing uh, with these drugs and selling them to others. Um, that's the classification. Now the scheduling is is different. It sits alongside that, but the scheduling relates to what ha- whether or not a, a drug is accessible um, to a medical professional, for example, or a researcher. Um, and whilst uh, heroin, um, morphine, Um, Whilst morphine is a class A drug on the street, in the hospital, it's uh, a a Schedule 2 drug because it has clear medical benefit. Um, And uh, so any hospital um, practice is able to access morphine uh, and carry it. Um, If something is a Schedule 1 drug, it means that hospital has to have a very specific License um, and the, the the medicine has to be held in a effectively in a sort of safe a locked safe that's attached to the wall. as so like not it can't even just be a freestanding safe. Um, there's very very stringent guidelines if it's moved around for it to enter the country. There's that specific Home Office license. The Home Office itself has to um, provide that license for any Schedule One drug. And a Schedule One um, drug is deemed to have no medical benefit. Um, and and effectively uh, to to, uh, relate to significant risks to society and the individual um, to potentially be addictive. Now, of course, we know that psychedelic medicines are amongst some of the safest uh, drugs that we know of. Um, And certainly if you look at um, Professor Nutt's work on uh, indexing harm, uh, you'll see that um, uh, m- mushrooms, psilocybin, and LSD—these uh, kind of psychedelic medicines—are right at the very, very end of of the spectrum of, of possible harm. And not only are they not addictive, they are anti-addictive. So the the real madness of our uh, of our drug policy in the UK at the moment is that um, whilst uh, morphine is a, a Schedule Two drug. Uh, The psychedelics, all psychedelic medicines are currently schedule one. So we in the CDPRG are asking not for immediate declassification and decriminalization. What we're asking for is rescheduling uh, because the rescheduling will allow medical professionals and researchers to access these medicines um, at less expense. Because there's just a, an awful lot of expense involved in researching at the moment. And that's why sample sizes for many of the studies in the, in the UK are not big enough. They're not as big as they should be uh, because of that expense. Um, and, and as many studies, you know, there are studies that aren't happening because of that expense. And that um, and the time taken as well, uh, the delay in terms of the get, get it, processing these home office licenses. Um, so we're asking for uh, the rescheduling. of of psilocybin so that medical professionals can get access. That's what we need. Um, In terms of the politics of this, the Prime Minister of Great Britain, Boris Johnson, uh, told Crispin Blunt, the MP that I work with in the CDPRG, um, and who set it up, the chair, uh, he told Crispin in May last year that psilocybin would be rescheduled. And it didn't happen. Um, And Crispin came out publicly in August last year and and said this to the press, look, the prime minister's made this promise and it hasn't happened. Um, And since then, we've been told by uh, the Home Office and by um, uh, Kit Malthouse, who's really the minister uh, responsible um, for this, uh, that the UK government is waiting for market authorisation um, and for the uh, MHRA... I can't remember the name. What it stands for, medical health, or something, authority. Um <laughs> that for that for those guys, the important, you know, authority uh to provide um the the authorization uh for this for this as a product in market. What we're saying is that things have to change much quicker than that. And there's a kind of circular argument. The the Home Office is not taking seriously enough um the uh the the scheduling they're not taking this seriously it's not enough of a um priority for them to really do anything about it and so whilst their legislation is holding up progress and is holding up science um they're sort of saying to us well the science will carry on and eventually uh it'll follow this process and and we'll get there and 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 let the process unfold let the science its work and the scientists are saying but no you're the ones holding us up so it's a very very circular argument that we're engaged in at the moment and um i honestly think you know perhaps by the end of this conversation um somebody would have pulled their finger out and rescheduled side simon it's an almost a it, it's such a no-brainer that it could just happen any time at all or we might still be sitting here waiting for market authorization in, in a year or, or two or five which is the worst possible scenario because I don't think that the public is gonna wait that long. Um, I, like others, am trying to shuffle forward the social norm so that these psychedelic medicines are no longer seen as, well, they're not stigmatized, they're no longer associated just with recreational drug use, and that they are recognized for the therapeutic benefit that they they have. And I think we're starting to see more and more now as the media environment changes in the UK, and that's Thanks to you know what's happening in the rest of the world and in the U.S. and big part in Canada, but if as we see the media environment change, we're starting to see politicians and backbench MPs more open-minded, um, and and particularly as you mentioned to the fact that the U.K. has an opportunity to be a centre of excellence um, for it already is a centre of of excellence for psychedelic research and Imperial and, and the Beckley Foundation, you know, really kicked off a great deal of the research that we now hold as the the, as the bedrock of the psychedelic renaissance. Um, You know, the UK has that opportunity and it has the opportunity to potentially start manufacturing dimethyltryptamine and psilocybin and these kind of and be uh, importing those or exporting those to to the rest of the world. Um, I'm hopeful that when the ministers start to just start to that stigma drops away and they start to realise the potential for these medicines that we will see fast change because my biggest concern and part of the reason I'm doing what I'm doing as well as to try and get more people help sooner um, and I I genuinely say to myself if if I can help this legislation move forward by one month sooner than it already will because it'll happen anyway but if it happens one month sooner because I've had a Part in that, then I can put that on my gravestone. I will die happy because there will be countless people, not just those involved in the treatment themselves, but the wider impact uh, that these treatments have on society. Uh, when you deal with someone's mental health, you know that that knock-on impact to their partner, to their children, to their, the rest of their family and their friends is really profound. And 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 if I can help that happen one month sooner, uh, you know I'll be I'll I'll die happy. Um, but we are—we're trying to sort of uh, keep fighting the, the good fight on um, on on bringing that scheduling, uh, changing that scheduling, and uh, and helping all those that have the power to influence it see the opportunity because um, it's right there and it's staring us in the face. And the opportunity is also aligned with the risk because whilst I'm trying to shift that norm forward and get more people to recognize that these medicines could help them because they can help them and they, they, they ought to know that, they have the right to know that. Um, at the same time, there are major risks associated with um, uh, unsafe use. Um, so people using these medicines in unsafe circumstances without the right guidance and help, they, they represent a risk to themselves and to others. And we've got to mitigate that. And the best way we can mitigate that is if the home office get their act together and um, start, you know, recognizing that these medicines are coming, they get the rescheduling done, that the health service starts to take these medicines seriously, um, which... I think is beginning to happen and, and a big step forward is the conference happening next week in London, Psych Capital Conference which is happening at the National Gallery and um, there will be many uh, not only big moneyed investors there but I believe the NHS will also be hopefully making an appearance um, as well as many of the clinical, uh, um, many of the clinics in the UK that are now sort of setting up and gearing up. We've just got to make this policy change happen and I wish I could tell you uh, we're ahead of the game. I don't think that we are, um, but it could happen any time at the same time. So I'm just, I, I hold out hope, and I just try to keep pushing things forward as best we can.
1: Beautiful. Thank you so oh, much. Sorry, for I, I, do <laughs> on. I told you I'm an
0: evangelist and, um, you know, give me a platform, an opportunity to talk about my favorite subjects. And I, I will talk, I'm afraid, but. I hear <laughs> you. I
1: think a lot of the people who has seen the the uh, potential they feel really passionate about this subject so I understand that thank you for the update this is great to know that UK is already playing their part I know it's slow you said but I also feel hopeful that we can because I spoke to a psychiatric nurse not long ago uh, for these conversations that we have here on the podcast because I believe in the education I think I feel like um As a UK citizen, um, I need to do my part, bring not just the potential uh, therapeutic use, but also, like you said, can we mitigate the uh, harm reduction and how to use it in the best possible way? Can we educate? I think my passion here is education and information, part of these uh, powerful substances. And since they were buried on the ground for so many decades, and a lot of our people carry A lot of stigma around and a lot of negativity and of course also they don't understand you know there's a saying that if you don't understand it's easy to judge or easy to reject or easy to not engage so I feel like if with the right education and with mature and responsible people as influencers and leaders in the space I think we can do this quite soon and um just yeah, my, I think it's science, yeah. not stigma. That's, from, that's my little catchphrase
0: at the moment, as well as, you know, mm-hmm. our campaign is for psilocybin access rights. We call it PAR, P-A-R, psilocybin access rights. Uh, unfortunately, psilocybin begins with a P, as you know, which is a bit awkward. Uh, but the PAR campaign, we call it. Um, and this is, this is what we're asking for. We're asking for access. We're asking for access to those who need it. And we, and we demand this as a right. Um, you know, the, the fact is it, it's deeply unjust that anyone who is is suffering, anyone who's maybe even given up hope uh, because their antidepressants just aren't working because they uh, are at the end of their life and they're dying and because they can't see uh, any joy anymore. Um, or indeed, they're just actually uh, suffering from cluster headaches. You know, there's a, there are some mechanical, if you like, challenges uh, physiological challenges like cluster headaches that psilocybin has the power to address and people who suffer from those headaches they are 20 i think more, they have a 20 percent higher suicide risk than the rest of the population uh, they call them suicide headaches they call themselves survivors um and yet the the chair of the cluster busters association in the uk she says i've never even got a parking ticket in my life And the drug laws here make what I'm doing, uh, it make me a criminal uh, just for for trying to save myself from these headaches. You know, it's wrong that these various different use cases, whether it's depression, anxiety, addiction, um, all the way through to those cluster headaches, um, it's deeply wrong that people are denied these medicines, which is why we like to talk about rights, access rights, psilocybin, access rights. Um, It's kind of politically charged for us. Uh, But it's also, I think everyone has the right to know that these medicines exist as well, um, and that they they do represent hope. Uh, There are many in this community who would say, Tara, stop it, these medicines are not a panacea, they're not a silver bullet. And uh, to them, I, I say, there is. of course there's no silver bullet. The mind, the brain is the most complex object in the known universe. There's no way that one thing uh, addresses absolutely everything for absolutely everyone. And I'm not saying that's the case. Um, I'm saying that I think that particularly when it comes to mental health, the biggest, the best tool that we have in our arsenal is hope and that these medicines represent that hope for people who have often given up um, or are really challenged there. Um, They certainly represent hope. There's a lot more research that we can do, but the science is strong and we need to follow the science, not stigma. Um, One of my colleagues earlier used the phrase that I love. I said, this is a penicillin moment. And that's the truth. It is a penicillin moment. Psychedelic medicines are not a panacea and they're powerful and they need to be used appropriately and not abused and not... Um, used you know uh, in ways that can actually traumatize people you know I'm very conscious of that Um, they need to be used carefully um, but they are powerful tools for healing and and we've got to we've got to acknowledge that in the same way that penicillin doesn't solve everything but my god Uh, the millions of people the millions of lives saved by penicillin also a fungus by the way another in the fungal family there um it won the war i hadn't realized that until recently that penicillin helped uh, the allies win the war um but really penicillin was a breakthrough and this is what this drug uh offers as well um and i'm surprised i said drug then because i i'm almost uh incapable of saying that but um these medicines, these psychedelic medicines are specifically psilocybin, which is our, the one that we're really pushing for um, on the basis that the others will fall in behind. Um, and that psilocybin um, strategically represents the, the greatest um, uh, clinical use, potentially. It's the easiest to sort of manage at the moment in, in terms of the dosing and, and that kind of the experience itself itself. Um, Anyone who's who's ever worked with LSD will know that the 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 unreliability of how long that experience can last means that not many therapists are going to be all too keen on on working with it. Um, But psilocybin does represent um, great opportunity and hope for for millions upon millions of people in the UK and worldwide. Um, So anything that you and your community can do to help us with psilocybin access rights, even just starting to use that language. Um, Like I said, we call it the PAR campaign, uh, P-A-R, but um, anything that anyone can do, uh, writing to their MP in the UK, um, just beating the drum, uh, shifting that social norm to science, not stigma, which is my other little hashtag that I'm very fond
1: of. Mm -hmm. That's brilliant. Thank you for sharing that also. One thing that I wanted to say before we can move on, um, one of the facilitators that I speak to a lot, and she's a crondera for ayahuasca, she facilitates mm-hmm. ayahuasca. Uh, she has also a um, background in, in law. So she was a lawyer before she turned facilitator. And uh, she, said, um, she said, if we can get these laws in place, uh, regulations in place as soon as possible, then we can manage the underground and we can manage the harm reduction side of it much quicker because oh, because yeah. of the irregulation because of what's happening now the, the you know the legal landscape is breathing a yeah. lot of underground practitioners or facilitators that are mis you know using and mishandling and actually re-traumatizing people
0: yeah no and this is the thing i mean you're always going to have Nefarious, bad people in any field that involves vulnerable people. And of course, this field is people at their most vulnerable because very often if somebody is looking for psychedelic therapy, it's because other things haven't worked. It's because they are desperate. And um, I think it's it's inevitable that we are going to have more scandals. Um, and, and that's the thing that I really that's why I want the Home Office to engage with us as soon as possible and to really start to put in place the systems, the safeguards um, for how people are going to get access to these medicines. Because I am very concerned that we, we don't have enough therapists and we're not going to have enough therapists, that the demand is going to be through the roof and that people will take matters into their own hands and that they will work with um yeah, people who are uh who may even not be nefarious, who may have the very best of intentions and yet uh, are capable of, of doing um, great harm. Um, so I'm. It's you know. I, I think there are a lot of backstreet abortionists right now, and and I do. It's it's terrible actually looking at what's happening in the U.S. with Roe versus Wade. I, I in the U.K. we I feel like we've moved so far beyond beyond that. Um, but I I often liken um, psychedelic uh, use today for therapeutic purposes as uh, very similar to um, uh, um, when when people are asking, uh, you know, ha- have have you done this illegal thing? It's I, I say to me, it's, it's that's a bit like asking me if I if I'm um, an abortionist in 1965, um, if I've had an abortion in 1965, if I'm a homosexual in 1966. Um, you know, these moments just before the law changed, right? Um, because that's what we're going to see. And, um, and at the moment, uh, the nature of criminalising this behaviour ne- necessarily brings all kinds of um, bad and misguided people into this space. We need regulation. We need to bring the light. That's what we've got to do, bring the light into um, this space. And that's what the medicine, I believe, is is inviting us to do. I'm very excited about the next few years mm-hmm. for mankind uh, and every time I look at the news and it distresses me beyond belief, as it does for all of us, um I just have to tell myself that this is the this is the tipping point, and this is the moment um that these medicines are going to come into the light and and change. i think I think they will change global consciousness. I really do believe that as 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 uh, Rick Perry uh, says, um we, uh, Rick Perry. Uh, Rick Doblin. <laughs> yeah. uh, Rick Perry one of my favorite people these days. I don't do you know. Do you know? Yes, I do know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he pushed through this
1: bill um, mm-hmm. for the veterans. Yeah. Um. But uh, yeah, we love all the Ricks over in the US. <laughs> They're our favorites. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Um. one thing to mention here, I think it's a great idea to mention is that As you said, this is is the new frontier. Looks like it's it's coming really with a big force. And if this is the new frontier in the mental health space, like I said earlier, I spoke to uh, a psychiatric nurse and he said he's been a nurse for a long time, psychiatric units, and he does night shifts and he's never seen so many suicidal people just turning up at the door, literally in crisis, Oh, since the pandemic obviously the the two years of two three years of the pandemic is really pushed all the traumas and these anxieties up to the roof and people are really suffering and he said um there's a really a clever idea he says imagine there was like a set of um clinicians uh, in emergency rooms And if somebody comes in so suicidal in crisis, they quickly assess them. They have enough capability, education and the capacity to quickly assess them and usher them into a room to give them a psilocybin treatment right there and then. Like, you know how you have a severe cut or some, uh, you know, emergency injury that you Mm. end up in the ANA in the UK. Um, They just usher you in quickly and then they quickly get you to have these treatments. Imagine the same setup. In the psychiatric units. Mm. I know it's far far away now it feels like that but I'm sure that's something uh, it's not too far uh, I believe in the future. I mean I, I hope in the future that people w- that there will be fewer and fewer
0: crises because yeah. actually so much of that that is driven by underlying um, trauma and patterns of belief that are maladaptive and, and that reach crisis point but I, I think uh, as we move into the next yeah next age of man, we're going to start understanding ourselves so much better. My my day job is talking about the subconscious and how to influence people's behaviour um, in order to get them to do pro social things or to um, whatever it might be. Really, I don't work with should I shouldn't say I do not work on cigarettes and we don't work on gambling. So there's nothing kind of Machiavellian. Um, but it is really all about trying to understand what motivates people and what what hinders them from certain behaviors in ways that they don't understand themselves. Um, there's a, a classic experiment I often talk to people about, uh, where on alternate on alternate days in a wine shop, um, they played French or German music, and on the days where the French music played, it outsold the German wine by I think uh, the French wine outsold German wine by I think like five to one, something like that. And on the days where the German music played, it outsold the French wine by about two to one. Now the association between German music and wine is not as strong as the association between French wine and French music. There's a sort of, there's a mood that goes along with that. And uh, you can see in the data that the music was having an influence on people's purchasing behavior. But the interesting thing is that only 14% of people when they were asked, were even conscious that the music was playing at all. And of course, nobody had, nobody said, oh, that's why I bought this bottle of wine. No, they all said, oh, it's a good price point. I like the label. I'm gonna have a Coco Van for dinner. You know, everyone has a good justification and a good reason for doing what they do when asked, but that's all in retrospect. And, and actually what, what we can see by looking at um, the data and looking at the science, is that human beings are heavily influenced by all kinds of factors that they're not conscious of, um, and this is true in our in our waking life, even in our emotional relationships with others. We are not necessarily cognizant, aware of our own pattern of behaviour, um, and I think that what these medicines do is that they reveal that pattern and allow people uh, to reshape uh, that 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 pattern and. Um, and I think this is all part and parcel of you know my my sort of my day job, if you like, in behavioral science and the work that I do with the psychedelics, for me it's all one and the same thing, which is what is it to be a human being? I think we're at the forefront of really understanding that, um, making sense of it. And um, and on one level, it's a bit, it's a bit scary for people. Um, and on another, I think, uh, and I think that's a lot of reason why people are afraid of the psychedelic experience itself, because they they somehow feel that. They will be subjected to, and of course, people have you know traumatizing experiences with psychedelics, so this is somewhat true. But the the bad trip, um, they feel, feel they will be subjected to something uh, negative um, that kind of comes from the outside, when actually the the real truth of the 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 really powerful psychedelic experiences are transformative, are that they allow one to really go deep within. There's nothing coming from outside. It is all originating in there. It's, I like to liken it to, you know, going into the basement, the door might be locked and these medicines can just open that door. You still have to walk in and go, hell, there's this dirty, horrible thing down here that's been here, it stinks. It's stinking out the whole house and I need to get rid of it. And psychedelic medicines allow you to go to that place um uh you know to to turn the light on in the cellar uh to bring the light because quite often people's even people's traumatic memories of their childhood uh sometimes when they visit them and they actually go there they find out it was not really as bad as they thought maybe everyone involved was just a human being maybe everyone involved uh in this terrible uh, event that happened when i was a child actually didn't really mean uh, for me to take on board this feelings of guilt or this feelings of you know whatever it might be this trauma that I've 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 carried with me and uh, and maybe it was all okay and maybe it is all okay and maybe I just need to throw out that dirty rotten fish in the basement that smell it stinking out my house and my God look how nice my conscious mind is now look how free I am I hadn't even realized I didn't even realize uh, just how much my subconscious was really affecting my day-to-day life um and uh, I, it's all one and the same thing for me um but yeah I, yeah it's uh it's an
1: exciting time i think for, to mm. be a human being it's also it's beautiful intersection that you have it's like you are doing your day job but it's very similar to psychedelic processes like you are focusing on the human subconscious or unconscious and one of the things that fascinates me is that you know people who are traumatized they are stuck in this loop and what does trauma do what does the suppressed emotions do they keep us in this non-creative dull stuck place and and these are the kind of conversations people need to hear around psychedelics because you know you said there is nothing outside can come inside everything you are experiencing is already in you yeah for you to re to be revealed and to be processed and to let go right and i think um Lots of people sharing all kinds of bad trips. Mm. Oh, but this is the kind of conversation we need to start having that you are not having a bad trip, you are cleaning your yeah. building inside or your interior, your inner inner landscape. I think these are the conversations we need to have. And, and not it's necessarily the, role
0: of the sitter, right? It's the it's the for me, yeah. it's the critical role of the sitter, of yeah. somebody that holds that space with nothing but love. And, and no judgment and somebody I, uh, the, um, the woman who runs synthesis uses this beautiful phrase. I love, um, you know, someone who's there for your whole humanity, um, mm-hmm. someone who shows up and is there for your whole humanity and, and can hold, can hold that space for you and allow you to feel uh, that you can trust them to guide you, to look after you, to shape that experience so that even the most, challenging things are not themselves traumatizing but quite the opposite they are anti-traumatic they are ridding you of those things that you're holding on to uh subconsciously um and it might and, and whilst that's a challenge might be a challenging experience it's an entirely positive one and and I very often liken this to um the difference between you know between surgery and uh bandaging yourself up every day uh because my um you know my my feelings around ssri antidepressants are that in the main that is allowing people to bandage up a wound uh every day and keep it fresh um but it's not healing them uh if anything it it, it may well be numbing them to their the joy that they could be finding in life and we know there is some emotional blunting um uh, as a potential side effect of this uh, we know that there's loss of libido you know all of these things that bring joy and, and make life meaningful
1: mm-hmm.
0: um you know if 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 antidepressants are just like making you productive and not not necessarily feeling all of those things, then they might serve a purpose, but I would rather take the surgery and say, okay, well, this is not going to be fun. I'm not going to enjoy this necessarily, but it's going to get in there, get out the stuff that is poisoning me, that is bad for me, that is causing me pain, and it's going to take it out, sew it up. And I'm going to do that with a professional. (laughs) I'm going to have by my side Somebody, um, my, my mother um, t- talks about sitters as um, psychedelic midwives um, because they are, um, it's psychedelic midwifery. You're there to uh, reduce the pain, and reassure on the process um, and um, you get to share in the joy. But ultimately you're not doing the work as the sitter. It is really all about that person in the chair, or in, the, on the, in the bed, Um, And I think that's it's it's there are such big, big shifts away uh, from the classic kind of paradigm of uh, Western uh, psychiatry uh, when it comes. And this is, again, why I'm so engaged in this field from a political point of view is I really believe we don't have enough. We don't have enough people. uh, We don't have enough sitters. We don't have enough therapists um, and we're going to need a whole lot more. um, But we're going to need people who at the front end of what does that delivery structure even look like because this is so different to the the previous model that we've been using um how do we gear up as an as a nation for that because i think one of the interesting things is in the us you've got a system like private sector healthcare system where if you have if you already have a, a belief system an ontology that is you are a christian you could go to a christian retreat center and and, and see angels and and mary myself might come down and uh, see you but um uh you know if you're if you're more shamanically inclined you would be able to go to that center uh if you're jewish you'll be able to go to a jew you know, all of these things are going to be established and, and are being established now but in the uk we have the national health service Uh, We don't have a national belief system or church or uh, understanding of the kind of metaphysics of what these medicines represent for people. And they do point towards um, these big questions of meaning. Um, So we're also going to need to train a a generation of, of guides and sitters who are more willing than current psychiatrists to talk about metaphysics with with the people that are going through that process because um, people want, when they when they go through the psychedelic process, they need to be able to talk about the meaning of life afterwards and what they've experienced and whether it points towards um, some, a, 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 a something that is outside of themselves, for example, um, that they've maybe not ever had access to before, something very, very spiritual. Uh, we're going to need therapists who are comfortable having those kinds of conversations, and we're also going to need therapists who are comfortable with the fact that, again, it's the midwifery—you're not the one necessarily doing the work. Uh, the work is is done by the um, by the patient or the journeyer. Um, you are just there to create the conditions, um, and uh, I think that's also we're going to need a whole new generation of therapists and sitters, guides. I'm not even sure what the right language is yet. Um, that that are trained to to deliver that and and like I say to deliver it with love because I I think the I think the missing ingredient in in the therapeutic journey and we we always talk about the sets and the setting around the uh, around the dosage itself making sure you've got the right mindset and intentions and ex- expectations also making sure that the environment the setting is right but I I think that the intention of the sitter I actually believe is is a, a critical element and, and that, that creates the, the conditions for the um, the journey to, to trust and to really go deep within themselves and kind of leave their body behind in that room and um, to really go to the places within them that will will heal them ultimately uh, and uh, so there's a really it's a beautiful process and um, anyone who's uh, seen it or been part of um, a psychedelic experience and uh, has seen the kind of Transformative healing that is possible. It I think it's very hard not to be an evangelist. I don't I don't know how everyone doesn't want to scream about it from the rooftops because it just for me it's the most important thing. Life, it's life. Yeah.
1: Wow, it's very powerful. Thank you so much for sharing all that you did. Three things highlighted for me here while I was listening to you. One of them is that you said we're going to need a new generation of therapists who are willing to go into these kind of um therapy modalities and the the old one the old modality is where usually the psychologist or the therapist doing all the work and taking away the undesired feelings from the person rather than allowing the person to actually immerse in it have that surgery and and find their way back into their joy and healing and uh, obviously now I'm thinking um And also the therapists themselves, they don't need to do this, right? They don't need to do it in a traditional setting. They don't need to do their own work. They could just stick to the structural therapy model because this is my background and I really understand this. Uh, They can just sit in a chair and not really do their own work in order to help anybody. And then as we know, the traditional methods can also create codependency for this reason. And one of the things that I wanted to move away from the traditional therapy is because I just cannot bear the idea of someone seeing a therapist for five years, 10 years. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't take that. It should, that's a lifetime. Mm. It shouldn't take that long. And of course, now we need to look at this as a new modality where now therapists need to come on board doing mm-hmm. their own. There is a really great um psychedelic education platform. I think they are based in the US and Netherlands as well and uh, the representative uh, person said in order to become a sitter or a psychedelic therapist the therapist they need to also have minimum of free sessions themselves so that Mm -hmm. they can clear out their own work or stuff or that needs Mm -hmm. to be released and I think this is great meaning that you know they need to have a hands on and they need to have that personal experience in order to help others. This is a very new modality that we're going to be entering into, which is exciting. Very new. And I also
0: think one of the critical elements of this is uh, because I also believe I don't believe integration goes on forever. Not not at least not between the therapist, the sitter and the journeyer. Um, I think integration, it goes on forever for me, but you, you, like, as the individual, you take that responsibility onto yourself and you take it away from the, the therapist so that you're not in therapy for 5, 10, 15, 20, however many years. Um, you take that responsibility back after that that initial process of integration. I don't believe that integration happens forever Uh, and there are there are those in the the field already you know this is already a question I do think though that the the community um, and when I say I take that integration onto myself rather than just between me and a therapist I think one of the um, one of the things that's also going to change is looking at the role of community in our ongoing spiritual life and when I say spiritual life I mean for me these medicines are sacred Um, but I think for, for anyone, no matter what they, their kind of, their belief system or ontology, um, they, they represent something very meaningful and that's why they are, that's why they are sacred for me. That's the language I use, but they, they represent something very, very deeply meaningful, the meaning of life and what brings joy to life again, when it has, has gone. And even those who are, uh, really sort of very much, uh, atheistic individuals, who um, have psychedelic experiences and come out the other side and, and, and maintain that they are, they are still atheists. Um, nonetheless, these medicines have given them something that they also re- recognize as meaningful. Um, I, I think that for, for all of us, no matter what our ontology, I think that the integration following is probably going to look, that there are going to be more community-based integration systems that, are, that allow you to hold on to the experience and to that meaningful uh, quality, um, and that those those circles are probably going to look more like, in terms of delivery, um, they're probably going to look more like AA or um, church than they do look like anything in our current uh, mental health, uh, you know, um, uh, packages in the UK. So I, I do believe that within the NHS and um, and and as a nation, we're going to have to start looking at that, that those kind of community-based integration um, environments and and, and circles um, that can help people stay where they want to be, um, and that's really you know it's new. Maybe we are returning to church. It's just uh, in a very different guise.
1: Yeah, like a community-centric uh, mm-hmm. aspect of the. Uh being, uh, you know, in the world. Uh, I also like the group processes, by the way. I'm so passionate about having these experiences in a group setting where it's safe and container is safe and everybody explores their own work and there is no judgment. There is, Mm. you know, it's it's great. Tara, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. As we come into the end of our conversation, I've got to ask you mm-hmm. a couple of things. One, what can we do immediately right now as individuals to bring more of this conversations so or what can we do to push this uh, forward so that it, it can be available for a lot of people that actually need it?
0: Yep. Um, please tell everyone about psilocybin access rights. Share it tweet it, follow people who talk about it, like like me and the Conservative Drug Policy Reform Group and all of our, all of those that we follow because um, we are just, uh, we're not actually aligned with the Conservative Party, but um, we are aiming to get uh, change within this Conservative Drug Policy uh, conservative government and and we often say we don't call ourselves the radical progressive drug policy reform group because we wouldn't get taken very seriously if we did and um, and this is and they're actually we're not asking for anything that is uh, remotely radical we're asking for people to follow the science, but following them following all the other political the, the uh, Labor and Lib Dem and green um, uh, groups uh, transform leap there are lots and lots of different associations uh, that are all beating the drum. Uh, alongside us. Um, So take a look at kind of who we follow on Twitter and follow them all and retweet them all and talk about the things that are going on, come to the events and the conferences, Uh, get as informed as you can in order to have conversations with absolutely everyone, Uh, watch as much, you know, contact, engage with this uh, growing field, be informed and be at the, at the Vanguard. Um, You can also, and a great thing to do is write to your MP. Uh, We've produced these um, postcards. If you ever run into me, I'll probably try and give you one um, that uh, are addressed Uh, like auto address to your MP. If you write them a letter, you sign it, you date it, you put your address on it and you say to them, what are you doing? um to try and get uh psilocybin access rights for people what do you you know you do you understand uh, and we have a wealth of data on our website as to how powerful these medicines are and what what they represent but if you can write to your mp at all and say um we need we need this to happen please help make this happen uh, they should respond to you um which is great so it's just driving that awareness and that a- agenda uh, uh, forward that's the, that's the first uh, thing we can ask for and if anyone's out there's got loads of money and wants to run some advertising uh, you know please come and talk to me basically because <laughs> um, we've got some campaignable assets that we'd love to put on poster sites and things like that just to again start to shift the social
1: norm but the main
0: thing is have the conversation.
1: That's beautiful. thank you so much any last closing words of wisdom that you'd like to share with our listeners? Hmm.
0: I think there is hope there's hope for mankind and even though things can seem very bleak um, politically uh, internationally and in one's own lives um, you know these medicines do show us the door and, um, and for anyone that you know that is suffering um even if they are not willing to um really engage with it uh tr- try and have the conversation try and let them know that there is um there is an option there because the thing that terrifies me is is the idea that anyone in my life um would commit suicide without knowing uh what these medicines can do for them and so uh if there's anyone in in your life that you think is even vaguely at some point in risk, at risk of that, let them know uh, that before they think of dreaming of doing anything like that, that they must explore the options. If not here in the UK, then in other jurisdictions, um, but that there are options and that there is hope and that joy can return even if it seems lost.
1: Beautiful. Thank you so much thank you and thank you for being here with us today and uh, we'll add all of your links and your information in the show notes that's so great. that our listeners can connect with you follow you and support you and support the PAR campaign thank you very and much thank you yeah absolutely um that's the least we can do and keep having these conversations bring more education more informed so that people can take informed uh, actions
0: bring that's- the light
1: science yeah. not stigma <laughs> I, I said I someone the other day we're all Illuminati
0: now. I said I, I said someone I should start the Illuminati party uh, where we just take all of the symbols of the old elite and the eye and the third eye you know and we should just take those symbols and use them for uh, for science and to show that, that the world has uh, has moved on.
1: that's yeah yeah great come join the illuminati party that's (laughs) amazing thank you so much tara all the best with your mission and your projects and would love to have you back again maybe part two sometime in the future and follow up on what's been happening and wishing you all the best thank you so much thank you thank you so much thanks everybody for joining us please do get in touch with me or tara and follow tara we'll have all the links below for you and um yeah comment below keep the conversation going and i'll see you guys on the next one bye for now much love Thank you so much for joining us. Psychedelic Conversations podcast is designed to educate, inform, and expand awareness. For more information, please head over to psychedelicconversations.com. You can also share with your friends or leave a review so that we can reach more people. You can also join us in our private Facebook group to keep the conversation going. This show is for information purposes only and it is not intended to provide mental health or medical advice. Thanks for listening.